Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. All right, everyone. Uh, those that know me know that I do like to take deep dives, um, and I'm really curious about our species, humans, <laughs> and talent management, and understanding how to support people. I think is a part of that, and so I wanted to go to a professional, a pro, as the young people might say. Uh, so I'm excited to be spending time with Katie Ballantyne. She is with Cornerstone. She is the VP Product and Customer Experience. And and Katie, we were talking about this sort of off air, but in my research on you, like it, it screams that you're passion is around what you're doing. And I don't know why that felt so novel to me, but it feels like there's so many people that feel from even a talent management perspective out of place. It's like they're trying to put a square peg in a round hole and kind of their career, their personal passions, the things that sort of get them up in the middle of the night with excitement. And yet I've now found you and we're now connected here in this podcast talking about all things uh, talent management. So with that as the backdrop and now the pressure, sort of tell me, one, am I am I aligned with sort of uh, my perspective on that, that that is a bit of a rarity it feels like these days, not that that's what we want. We actually want more people like you that are passionate about what they're doing, um, but sort of where this started for you. How did this was this a part of you, even when you were younger, you were able to sort of look at systems and see what was going on and kind of have an understanding? Is this just been in your DNA? I think it was in my DNA. And first of all, thank you so much. That is such a lovely compliment for someone to feel like they can sense your passion. And my passion definitely is for people. And it, it always was kind of present. Oops, sorry. Dog in the workplace. Sorry. You, got Wait, work. you mean it's 2022? This is unbelievable. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm also passionate about dogs in the workplace. Okay. Um, so it was always a part of me. It was always ingrained in the, you know, what can you do? How can you give to the school? How can you give to your community? And I was at university and I was actually studying to be an accountant. Um, I love numbers. I love system. I love structure. It, it is something that I genuinely adore. And I happened to get a summer job in Australia working in the ski resorts in America at the <laughs> HR desk. For at the, the ski HR resort. desk for the ski resort. At the HR desk at the ski resort. <laughs> of course you did. A natural professional path. <laughs> Absolutely. So shout out to all of my people out there who have also been over on J1 Visas, the cultural exchange program. It's an incredible program and it's, it's a wonderful way to you know exchange cultures and to exchange learning. And it's a great way to immerse in the world of work you know, during universities and in another location. Amazing program. And so I fell into this HR job and I just felt like I'd found my purpose in life. Like we hear about people and profits, managers and margins. You can have both. And I saw where the world of numbers can meet with truly caring about humans and where I was located at the time had not just relative poverty, but absolute poverty in the nearby vicinity. And I would see this impact. You'd go with someone through their benefits paperwork. And it was the first time their kids had dental insurance, or it was the first time they were going to be able to access some kind of specific care. You could they see the impact directly. You could see the impact and you could see this break from 
capitalism purely being about profits to being capitalism where we go back to its roots is also being supporting a community, making making a vicinity better through what you can do as an organisation. So that organisation is a greater good. And it literally was, you know, I, I joke, I threw my, you know, my dreams of being an accountant aside and I was like, ah, it's <laughs> HR for me. I changed my degree, went back to Australia and finished my degree in HR. And I went back to working in ski resort HR and just absolutely adored it. You know, it's so interesting because I don't know if I've ever heard, and I have done work uh, at Vanderbilt University, one of the, you know, prime universities in, oh. in, in the world, working with actually accountant graduate students. Um, yes. And so the way in which you, I think words are powerful and they're also poetic, but when you're talking about managers and margins and finding the relationship between these numbers and the humans that either carry those numbers around or they embody them, um, do yes. you find even in your space that sort of the way in which you look at it or the lens with which you look through it is slightly different than your professional peers and colleagues, even at different sort of organizations and nonprofits and for-profits and in different countries? Because I haven't seen that combination put the way that you you laid that out. And I like it uh, very much. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like when I started in my career, it was novel. As I was looking at my career trajectory with NHR, it was like, okay, you're going to become like, you know, um, head of HR. At least we were saying HR at this point, not personnel management. I won't date myself that much. <laughs> but um, it, it was novel to have this very kind of metrics-driven approach and very numbers-driven approach, but also a very people instinct to it. Um, it when you looked at the career traje trajectory at that time, it was, okay, what's your master's degree going to be? And it's probably going to be in employment law. And, you know, how indicative of this shift at the time away from like, oh, you know, lower emphasis on unionization and more focus on, you know, you know, employee-employer relationship and that bridge. But I actually think it is more common now to see that very, very strategic lens of the talent leaders in your organization are absolutely pivotal to optimizing human performance and optimizing human performance both in terms of what does the organization need? Where does the organization need to go? How are we going to nurture the people within the organization to get there? But then also simultaneously being able to say, how can we invest back in people and how can we make them feel great and valued and have good jobs at the same time? So I feel like it is much more of a common mindset now to have this kind of passion for people, but also deep understanding of the numbers, because it, it is how you create relevancy for yourself at the table. And it's how you make the business want to support your strategy, because you can prove how you're going to propel them forward, and how you're going to be a player in what's next and where you're going. So I think it's becoming more, more and more common. And I think especially the pandemic has helped a lot of our talent leaders get that seat at the table too, which and I, is exciting. <clears throat> Yeah, and I want to touch on that, but I do want to draw it. I just love the fantastic irony that you you went in, you know, sort of pursuing this, uh, you know, degree and a career in accounting, and that has its own stereotypes, uh, sort yeah. of legacy or historically sort of looking in in the rearview mirror. And the same with the HR world, right? It's uh -huh. it, the irony is those are two professions where people historically or the way in which they've been portrayed in the media is sort of this at arm's length struggle to make actually a human condition or connection, you know, so yeah. focused in the numbers and the structure. And yet you're the exact opposite of that. Do you ever think sort of that you've 
you've kind of combined these worlds in a, in a fantastic, you know, collaboration just for yourself personally and professionally. Yeah, I I feel like maybe it was a fortunate accident for me. <laughs> maybe it was you no know, fate had its hand. I, I do think now I'm like, gosh, I, I don't know how satisfied I would have been with P&Ls after all, you know, so <laughs> I, I think it is fortuitous. But I think that there's a common thread within talent leaders. And mm. um, gosh, the stereotype that you're talking about, like I've re- I've received so many of the um, Dilbert cartoons over the years with Catbert, the evil HR director. Um, you know, like that, that that was a pretty common stay early in my career. And then even recently there was that, uh, did you ever watch the show, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? I don't know that show. Oh, it's exceptional. There's an entire episode <laughs> dedicated to HR people and how basically all of these people, you could only work in HR if your name was Linda and people were even changing their name to Linda so they could get jobs in HR. So they so, could get... <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty hilarious. Like the clip is hilarious. And yes, so you do have this group that's steeped in a lot of stereotype. It goes back to that personnel management days to the you know HR days. And then luckily here we are now in a much more enlightened way, realizing that we can be that pivot point and that glue between our employees, creating great jobs, jobs that take pe- take care of people's growth, help them have great work-life balance, connect them into resources that they wouldn't have otherwise while also supporting your business. And there's some sad data out there, though, right now that just got released earlier in the week, and it was by LinkedIn, and it was about burnout within HR. And earlier, actually earlier in this year, we saw some data come out, do believe it was HR training industry reported on it, just the, it was an incredible amount of HR leaders were saying, I'm so burnt out and it's been so much, I'm, I'm looking for a job. And then this LinkedIn report this week showed that the highest attrition of any job role right now in the great reshuffle is HR leaders. And I it's think- It's not surprising, people, Katie. Do you, I mean, like when I hear you right? say that, you mentioned the pandemic earlier. It's like these two forces yep. have sort of come to play. You have the younger generation that is incredibly, uh, I think, thoughtful, in thinking about their world that they work in as three-dimensional, as opposed to maybe my generation, I'll age myself in that way, right? It was still very sort of typical that you had to climb a ladder. I mean, there were just certain steps you could not skip. The younger generation, they're like, forget that. <laughs> I want to think about where I have a purpose. I have value. I can, this is not a nine to five, which by its very nature says we better have sort of that human talent management sort of understanding that this is an ecosystem that you're supporting professionals like yourself. And then when you talked about the pandemic, you know, it seems like these these bells went off in people's heads and they went, uh-oh, I better connect with my HR department or the talent man, yep. because every issue I'm having is actually in that domain right now, as we're all trying to navigate mm-hmm. this brand new world. So mm-hmm. for, a, for a department in an industry that was sort of always put to the back of the room, sadly, yeah. it was like, come up to the stage. <laughs> Yes, come up to the stage, bring your huge hearts with you and the amount of compassion and care and worry. I do not believe that you go into this profession without it being a choice. And and not to get too grandiose with it, but I do believe for many people it is a calling. You you are coming because you've got a great mind for business, but you also want to serve. And it's a great way to combine the two in this profession. And I think you've got these people who were giving so much of themselves, so much worry that the, you know, your heart does break for what a lot of people went through in the pandemic. And the 
the role that organisations could take, though, in the pandemic to support a community and to make sure that people were cared for and protected and had the resources that they need to navigate something so intense, that's a success story. We that, that you know that, that that's a huge success story. But then you come to the other side and. Our HR and talent leaders have been in very reactive decision making the entire time. It's like, you know, speaking to them, my my friends, they're like, and today I've got to figure out this new rule from from OSHA, or otherwise I don't know how we're going to keep the doors open. Do you know what I mean? Like we're going to lose revenue. That's stressful, and we know our brains don't want to hang out in reactionary, high stress. No, yeah, I mean you you want to have stimulation from new like new demands on any job, right? You don't yeah. want to sort of be static in this sort of rote reporting function, but you're right. No. There's this overload element where we just can't mm-hmm. dump the kitchen sink and say, well, <laughs> this department, this group of professionals will just figure it out. And on no. top of it, I'll speak from the U S perspective. And it's not that we are unique in this, but you know, over the last couple of years, there have been a number of issues and just society, you know, societally uh, that have impacted HR departments in what do we talk about? How do we present ourselves? Do we have to mm-hmm. be on a certain side of an argument? What do we need to put out publicly? I don't know yes. if your initial training, I mean, talk a little bit about that sort of as a backdrop to say, how how do we understand the preparation for the next generation, right? Of the Katie's out there, the Valentines that are going to be in positions of influence in this sector, if the demands are, they're quite a bit different than they were when you even started out. Yeah, it's funny. we. We speak about this, and I was recently meeting with a collection of extremely brilliant senior HR leaders from global companies, and someone was like, it's like everything I ever did has had to be thrown away. I've got to start all over. It's not going to work. And and here's a really great example. I think about learning development. So we used to have, you know, we used to have instructional designers, right? And they designed, you know, in-person training and it was a day long and we're good. And then we're like, okay, we need you to shift now to e-learning and you're going to become, you know, e-learning designers. You're going to build, (laughs) put that day into a one-hour SCORM course, right? And then, then we went really crazy and we said, hey, guess what? You curate learning now. You don't create it. You curate it against a learning pathway. And now let's flip it entirely the pace in which people are having to reskill every year. There's one study that said people will increase number of skills that they need to do their current job by 10% each year, and then 50% of those skills are new ones, okay? So think about that reskill you have to do in your current job, me today, to be able to exist next year in my job. I've got to be reskilling. HR teams can't do all of this, Right. You cannot command and control the entire learning experience in this moment. You have to find ways to be able to put social learning in the hands of your learners. You have to be able to find ways to have scalable growth and application mechanisms. Think about how we used to do things such as, you know, company-sponsored leadership development with very, very specific projects and sponsors. We need that for everyone now. We don't need that for the 10 or 15 superstars who were probably selected through highly biased processes. And we need to democratize that, but we've got to do it at scale. And we've got to create a system, a foundation, a structure to support learning and growth, 
but we've also got to be able to put it in the hands of the people who are in it every single day. How do they share information? How do they find learning? How do they create gigs and projects and mentorship opportunities for other people? It's a fundamental mind shift change in how we do talent. It's okay. So there's a lot there. And it, my anxiety level goes up and I'm not even in this sector in that, in that manner as you are, but it seems to me, so tell me if I'm far afield here, but it's one of those things where you either get out in front of it, or you're going to find yourself always drinking from a fire hydrant. Meaning mm-hmm. if you can't, as an industry educate sort of the C-suite on, look, this is the challenge we're going to be faced with on an ongoing bait. You almost have to educate and reskill those that have the voice maybe of the corporation or the platform Mm -hmm. so that that trickles down so that you have some buy-in that there's this, you know, it's like in the technology sector, right? We went through this, if we look back, it's a very odd stage. We just expected that, you know what, Katie, if I I design this piece of technology in my hand, that it's just good forever. And you're going to buy that expecting that it's good forever. Well, no, it needs to be an iterative process and we have updates and we have versions and we finally kind of figured that out. And we didn't, we took away the pressure for these developers or these innovators to say, all right, fine, we get it. You're not, it's not like we're building a coffee cup that's going to stand the test of time. The same thing with these, you know, humans are growing and evolving. And so it feels like one part of the role of HR now is just educating the people around them before you can even sort of implement processes and solutions and support mechanisms for sort of the talent base that is proper propping up the very company that you're trying to grow? Like, am I missing something? No, actually, this is is such an interesting insight that you glean. And actually, as you're saying it, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, of course, you know, this is such a huge educational moment. And you're right. It's having to go out to people and saying, you know, PwC survey, some 76% of CEOs are worried they're not going to have the people with the skills that they need for the future. We're seeing a lot of CEOs saying, yeah, downturn might be coming, but I'm hoarding labor this time. I'm not going to make the mistake that I made two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. They see it. I think it is a big responsibility for talent leaders to help disrupt some of the thinking across leadership in organizations around how we used to do talent management to people, like a lot of the old tools we all used. Um, So that's a huge educational piece. And then also that a lot of that investment in the workforce, you brought this up, Rod, like the HR team is here to create systems and structure, but they're not everything that happens in the organization. Let's think about, you know, even just middle manager overload. Overload is something that can be fixed by a lot of different teams. Look at what Airbnb did recently when they made their announcement about their new work culture. They said, we now schedule meetings around releases. Holy mackerel, how innovative. (laughs) Like releases are one of the biggest, most time-consuming things we do. We're going to schedule your work needs around releases. HR didn't need to tell you that. We can all make, we can all be thinking about things that we can do to improve company experience and to rethink how we create people and talent experience. Um, but I do think that HR is having to help shift the mindset potentially. Is that an example? A little bit of sort of that sleight of hand in a perfect world. Sort of if you're sort of. <laughs> It's like a cartoon, like you're scheming in the background. You're not doing that. But it's if we really want buy-in from everybody else outside of the HR pool, it would be uh-huh. a little bit of the train the trainer. Like I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't want to, right? This concept of, wow, I'm starting to now think about these things without having to be told in a meeting from a CHRO or a talent team. It's a part of my everyday that I need to be thinking about this. So maybe along the way, you're upskilling me as a leader so that when I'm coming up with initiatives, when I'm thinking about people being nervous about a recession or the potential potentiality of that, that I'm going to communicate in a way that is not off-putting, that's not distancing, but it's also, but it, but it is welcoming. Like, is that, mm-hmm. that could be a goal, right? I think that's a great goal. I think about this and, you know, let's actually think about something that we already use as tools, many of us within organizations, participative decisions, making schemas. Like the first time I'm basically going to walk you through a bunch of things. Like, have you thought about it this way? Have I, have you thought about it this way? So, you know, when we think about maybe the talent business partner role, is this something that is a tool that we leverage as we plan for things saying, well, have you thought about it? Have you thought about it this way? You know, what are all those steps and those layers that we can help people think through and increase their decision-making intelligence in non-routine environments, which is what we're in. So let's close with this. One one thing that I wrote here a couple of times in in our conversation here today, Katie, is this it it feels like, and I hope I'm wrong, but I also think it's kind of interesting if you sort of look for the next generation of those that will be in these positions. Um, now that we're finding and having a better understanding, I think, of the value proposition sort of writ large, mm-hmm. is that there's a little bit of having to be a bit of a forecaster to kind of mm-hmm. understand. It's not that... I mean, look, it's the old days of sort of reacting, pushing paper, moving one person from one department to another, new hires. Yeah. I mean, just sort of this, you kind of feel like you're a part of a, a of a, like an, a line, right? So it's just like one thing, then the other widget kind of a deal. But now you're being tasked with this concept of understanding all these market conditions that may or may not move mm-hmm. levers in directions that you either didn't, you couldn't comprehend and or you didn't have the yep. training. And so you have to think about PD for HR as an industry, yes. <laughs> let alone how that's, that's gonna point. those decisions are gonna impact folks. So let's yes. let's close with that. Sort of this role of being a forecaster. It's not about like sort of playing God mm-hmm. and these sorts of things, but it is yeah. about also changing and skilling up, just like we're talking about the C-suite, to integrate in this yes. language that you're hoping that they start to understand. To do the same yeah. for the industry to says, if I want to make sure that the Katie Valentines of the world feel supported and it sort of given carte blanche to think creatively with the skills that you have, then you're going to start to forecast the needs of an industry that will be mm-hmm. there as a valuable proposition to that company. I think that that you have the foundations there of an incredible system for some capability modeling. And I think that's absolutely where we do need to be going within the profession and how we're developing people for the future. We can't have heavily rigid structures anymore. We have to basically create systems of flexibility that give us a foundation that pivot and manage. So, you know, there's a lot of stats out there. How many, the number of new jobs that will exist by 2030, the number of jobs that exist today that didn't exist two years ago. It's hard to anticipate that. So what can you anticipate? You may not be able to anticipate exactly what's going to happen, but you can anticipate a common thread within it. And what you can anticipate is I will need to be flexible. So what can I do to create the most flexible organization? What can I do to understand how other companies are doing this and maybe, um, you know, decreasing the reliance on specific roles and moving things more into, you know, job functions so that you've got more flexibility. 
I think that we have to be constantly pushing ourselves for saying, what could all of the scenarios be in the future? And how do I create a structure now that allows me to move fast, pivot, be agile, but it doesn't lock me down into having to do something? You know, so a three-year plan is incredibly hard to create these days. We don't know what people need. So, yeah, as we're talking about these capabilities, it's that very futurist thinking. And I think it's being okay with saying, I don't have a three-year plan for that for scenario X, but I've got a plan for a theme of scenarios and I can be ready if the moment strikes. Yeah. You know, uh, as we put a, a wrapper on this discussion, I, I I love that you are the antithesis of the stereotype of what people I think grew up with in HR, which is you have, there's an openness to you. There's a conversation style that is very welcoming and engaging. And that's when we start to learn from the people that we're trying to support in the roles that make these companies work, right? And it's a little bit like the sales function, they build up buyer personas all day long, right? So can yes. we help understand? We may not be able to predict three days and three years into the future, but maybe we can understand the human beings mm-hmm. and the conditions that are impacting whether they enjoy their job, whether they're successful and or whether they want to leave and whether we're okay with that because we've got new requirements for the jobs that we have at our given company. So you bring up fantastic questions. I love sort of the flexibility in thought process. Um, where should people go if you if they want to connect with you? I know I want, you know, I've Katie Ballantyne, she's VP product and customer experience at Cornerstone on demand, but but I get the sense that you're being you're so personable that people will want to reach out. So where should they go? They should please join me on LinkedIn. I would be absolutely thrilled to have a discussion. And I'm extremely passionate about hearing how talent leaders are helping to raise their communities and further the good of organizations while also helping their businesses be strategic. So um, I I love hearing those and celebrating those stories as well. So I I love to connect with anyone through LinkedIn. But you you. and I share a passion for LinkedIn. My my LinkedIn's up all the time. I love it. Um, Well, (laughs) look, I I think the industry is very lucky that you ended up on a a J-1 visa hanging out at a a ski resort. Uh, I think the industry is that much better for it. We want to thank Katie Ballantyne uh, of uh, Cornerstone On Demand, the VP product and customer experience. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.